for love and design the podcast hello and welcome to for love and design podcast i'm ila colombo joined by ross lovegrove and today's episode delves into the metaverse a concept that's reshaping the very fabric of design and creativity it's more than just a new platform it's a radical shift in how we conceive space and interaction. And we are joined by the fabulous Mariana Caboguera, a former Zadid architect and designer who's navigating this shift. Mariana, thank you for being with us. Hi, Ila. Hi, Ross. Hi, Mariana. I really love your work, but I, uh, I love your attitude. So that's, uh, I hope this is going to be a great conversation. Fantastic. So, Mariana, you're transitioning from physical to digital realms, or at least that's what your career path is showing us. I find this very fascinating, but also riddled with a lot of complexities. The metaverse isn't just a new canvas, obviously. It challenges us to understand principles of new design. What are your thoughts overall? And how do you balance the limitless possibilities of what the metaverse can offer? First and foremost, I think we are finally going through a very interesting shift, which sounds almost not so important, but it's actually fundamental to finally divorce from the connection with meta that comes with the name metaverse and to start talking in almost adult terms, which is the real-time open world which I think we have seen David Holtz, uh, the CEO of MidJourney, announcing or, or naming it like that. And it has been a name that has been dragged during 2023. And I think we can officially replace the term metaverse connected to meta to something that is credible and realistic, which is the real-time open world. So mm-hmm, let's mm-hmm. just start by saying uh, which is something that I was looking forward since since the very beginning, actually, since I, I joined um, a Web3 company, Wild World, last year, uh, which is a company that is developing a metaverse. And uh, one of my biggest difficulties was actually this connection with a company that we don't have a lot of trust in, uh, which is Meta. It brings some profits to be connected with Meta, but it also brings a very dangerous dependency of the company. Uh, so now we can talk about real-time open worlds, which is exactly the same principles as metaverse. So about this transition, um, let's let's be very honest that the transition in our profession, it was not really uh, on the work flow, right? The, the scope changed when you're designing for real-time open worlds, but the workflow is not as radical as it sounds like. We all know that our profession is heavily digital, not all professions went through the same radical digital turn. We create digital architecture before building. So most of the times we are not even getting them built. Uh, we can say that um, right now at its core of architecture is building digital scenarios. Mm-hmm. You're saying it was quite natural, organic for you because, yeah, before building or having a project approved and then constructed, you you go through all of the conceptual phase and the landscaping, which is already digitally native. Is that correct? Exactly. So I worked 
five years at a, a semi-conventional practice, which is Ahadid, right? Kind of, it's not so conventional, but it's still conventional, it's still building for a physical environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I transitioned to a fully digital professional uh, architect director of web, a Web3 company, uh, the wild world that is building metaverse and now they're building more like a gameverse. And for that whole year, uh, I offered a, a high-class work of a high-class team of architects to design the metaverse. But most importantly, I took as part of my role precisely to understand the scope uh, of an architect in building an open world. What are the challenges that we face? What are the changes that are needed from our traditional skill set as architects? And can we actually adapt to these changes or do we need to collaborate with someone who has that skill set? Um, so what what is the team? What does the team look like when you're building open worlds with architects only? That was one of the most important learning curves from my last year doing only the metaverse design. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that uh, as someone who I have a very heavy academic background and I worked in a high-end physical professional and I dealt with the technology that is going around the tech world. And I can tell you that with no doubt, architects are fundamental uh, at designing digital open worlds for one reason only to avoid previous mistakes that were done when building stages for society. We have the knowledge, we have the know-how, we have the skill set. It's a very small step for adaptation and and improving our skill set. I find this fascinating, I have to say, partly because for me, you know, I've been involved in all aspects of three-dimensionality for a long time, and I've, I've been part of this, this trace from the analog to the digital and now beyond. I like the way you articulate um, the shift. Yeah, it makes uh, totally yeah. a lot of sense, and um, I like the way you described, Mariana, which this organic evolution of just um, exploring new territories, mm-hmm. which was already digitally native, so it's not like a big jump or a big leap, it's just making use of what you normally do within a practice. Mm-hmm. Do you fear like there is a potential loss of the human touch um, to the design element of um, real-time open worlds? Well, that that obviously comes to one of the most important topics going around, <laughs> which is uh, who is designing it and for what purpose? Uh, is it fully AI built and designed? Probably we lost the human touch. Uh, are we still in control of the tools? Are we still the ones leading the tools and not the tools leading us? That will probably be the key between open worlds that are uh, that lost human touch and open worlds that are actually built by humans for humans. When you said earlier you were talking about real time, I mean, I know we all talk about real time, but real time, I mean, instantaneous interface is something which is a form of tactility, I think. It's just intellectual, cerebral form of tactility. And I, you know, I deal with this a lot because I know that the human touch could be seen as very nostalgic at a time when we're really trying to make leaps and bounds. And I mean, if you look at anything that comes out of science or physics or even mathematics, it's so abstract, there's, there's no human touch. But these are incredible people who have minds who can guide. And I, I just think that it's a leap. It's a huge leap, meaning it goes away from uh, the modeling of a car in clay by hand to 
a whole new radical idea of, of maybe what a car is or what a building is and, and so on. And uh, we're seeing it because we're seeing uh, an evolution, an accelerated evolution in aesthetics that are very much part and parcel of that, that then drives in a kind of reverse engineering kind of way how we make it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of old school individuals uh, or people that are still very skeptical of the field is that you know, they, they, they don't know whether blurring more and more this line between the real existence and the digital existence is going to make us more and more detached and therefore the human touch to, to what's meaningful to us, right? Like everybody's pointing the fingers now badly to social media, for example. And we know social media because it, it really dragged us into this uh, digital second existence, you could say, is having terrifying effects on young people, especially teenagers and, and so on and so forth. What's your point of view on isolation in relation to real-time open worlds? It's a very valid fear. I think it's it's evident that it will happen. Our isolation or that our dependency to technology, it will happen in the same way that it has been happening for the past uh, 20 years, 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it is inevitable. The key changer is actually what, what are the core goals all the people that are building it. And we would probably, we would think that people have the same goals, which is achieving a positive experience that benefits society and that actually improves our well-being. And uh, funny enough, the realistic answer is most of the people are looking for profits over mm-hmm. um, other people's well-being, and I know this from actually working in the industry, profit is still the number one goal of everyone in the tech business. And unfortunately, profit, the biggest profits do come from the working with not-so-healthy environments or building not-so-healthy environments, things related to violence. There's, there's a reason why GTA 6 was so popular, right? Mm-hmm. I want to go back to what you were saying earlier with this um, dichotomy between the profitability of the space versus uh, the responsibility of doing good. And and I like your uh, input on that. The victim is always our environment, our climate. So uh, in case of uh, a digital metaverse or any digital product, it is powered by uh, heavy energy sources. Like you said, it is energy. It has a very important uh, carbon footprint. So if you imagine, even the actual term, real-time open blows, can you imagine the amount of power that is needed for real-time, 24 hours, worldwide, three-dimensional worlds. It is heavier than our 2D websites. It'll be heavier. It's actually being powered right now, more than we think. There are huge cables connecting China mainly um, that power real-time open worlds, a heavy network uh, in our oceans. So the question and the problematic is what you said, uh, are we going for the profits and disregarding the, the carbon footprints that real-time open worlds have or 
are we aware of it before building it? I feel like the same with with AI. I think speed, it's an enemy of thinking things properly, right? Because everybody wants to move fast. Now AI is going so fast. The metaverse yeah. must be going fast. But if you go too fast, you don't have enough time to actually look in at the whole logistics and infrastructure, right? It takes time to elaborate something that is fully green or sustainable or circular or look at looks at alternative of renewable energy and so on and so forth. So it's a very interesting and upsetting uh, piece of information. This is the key to our future because everything that is accelerating so fast is going to take, it's going to drain the whole global grid. And we need to replace that fast. I mean, even this morning they announced that there's an acceleration in, in nuclear programs worldwide because uh, nuclear at the end of the day, we have to, we have to store the spent fuel but it's a clean form of energy and it exists in the universe. So the moment that we get to a, a great moment, you know, this sort of event horizon of the, the energy field, then everything that we're all talking about, this revolution in every sense, does not become an issue anymore, certainly if it's a non-fossil fuel future. So I, I'm, I'm very optimistic about that and I, I want it to happen really quickly so that we don't even have to have any doubt in the discussion of what we're imagining and building. We also need to understand that it's almost like a silent building. It is being built for years while silently. We are just not aware of almost like a big monster that is actually coming up. And the, the big question is who is building and which countries and uh, what is the profit of, of this building? Yeah, but there are big ideas surrounding that now where how you how you cool some of these storage systems in deep ocean or even in space. So, I mean, there's a kind of wonderful exponential growth in any of this kind of conversation. Yeah, it also says a lot about interconnectivity, right? Like everybody talks about the Earth as a biological interconnected ecosystem where you can't detach its parts because they're all working together. Everything is interconnected, and as long as all of the separate parts uh, move forward in parallel, then you have sort of singularity where everything converges and therefore everything works. But if one field is left behind, then as you said uh, earlier, you have just the profitable side of the metaverse, which doesn't look at the sustainability. No, but don't you, doesn't that raise the specter that the metaverse could be the place, because it's fresh and newborn and clean and unadulterated, that it is the testing ground for incubating all new ideas for humanity. Yeah, certainly, Just certainly. Test it out. I mean, I mean um, that's really interesting. Another skepticism that that comes from certain peoples is that it, they see it very much as an utopian playground, right? Because of its relationship to gaming, or at least some of the interface, um, it's very referential of the gaming industry, and so it's not taken seriously, right? When you're pioneering on any technology companies were still looking for their own identity in the beginning. So it was very entertaining to see the so-called uh, small metaverses or pocket verses after a year or two years of growth, realizing that they were either a part of Web3 open worlds or they were actually gangbers. And it is a healthy growth and it is valid to not be so sure um, where you stand in the beginning or who you are exactly in the beginning as a company. Uh, so when we started hearing 
uh, mainstream about the mainstream metaverse or meta a lot of small metaverses started arising and they actually realized who they were a year or two years later and i think this is what happened with wild world there was a a clear intention after a year a collective intention that you know what actually this is entertainment and um, so if this is pure entertainment uh is this a game verse or is this a metaverse and personally i would drop a little line on is it pure entertainment or is it societal um the same way that architecture or sculpture is it entertainment or is there a stratification of society here or a society dynamic involved in this space and it's a personal opinion but i think there's another dimension isn't there which is escapism which is people trying to get away from the monotony of, of an everyday life which you know for a lot of people is 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 not very good the the everyday existence that people have is is monotonous and it's not growing and it's not growing very fast it's not changing fast and people want fast change they want to they want to go home to their cell and kind of participate in the world in another way this i, I we all know that's going to happen uh, through vr and so on it, it will and it's something i i'm kind of looking forward to to an extent because you just want to you want to step out of it you, you know you, Nature did not give us an off switch except for sleep, you know, and, and so I think this idea that you can step out and join other people, like-minded people, without having to travel, without all this, you just travel in a new way, that has to be legitimate and that has to be part of evolution, because the digital realm is giving us that, so we can't question it. Personally speaking, I was both a gamer I love video games, uh, a couple in particular, Halo on the Xbox and uh, Call of Duty on PlayStation. But before being a gamer, I was a heavy reader. And all of this conversation is, Ross just naturally saying, is an evolution of what the technology is offering as humans. If you go back in times, right, when traveling was really, really difficult, like around, I don't know, even pre-Victorian times, you have authors like Jane Austen becoming so successful because books where your mind escapes. People could read without touching and travel through romantic stories or, uh, I don't know, adventures and fantasy worlds with Lord of the Rings. And all of this is slowly bringing us into gaming and now real-time open words. You know, it's, it's, it's a form of lucid dreaming. It's a, it's a natural escapism, um, which is healthy to humans. Maybe we've always done this. We have been building fiction since the beginning of civilization. We build fictions. That's our core the teacher of humans. Uh, since Homo sapiens is building fictions from language, like you said, Roth, to any source of entertainment, That's, uh, it's our language. Escapism is probably one of my most interesting parts of uh, the topic on, on multiverses, actually, because it has been around since ever. We are just taking it back that um, the virtual one can be so real that it, it makes us isolate further, uh, but it doesn't have to, right? Everything that comes with regulation is not extreme, but if there's no regulation on anything, it will always go to extreme. Uh, so there's a healthy side of escapism, really important. But I, one time I, I had this talk with um, an architect, he also does metaverse architecture, called Simon Barza, and he is from Ukraine. And we spoke during the Ukraine war right in the beginning. And it was funny because until the point of our conversation, I thought, 
I thought escapism was kind of bad. I really didn't actually dwell into it. But he told me uh, with a lot of pride that he was building a metaverse for Ukraine escapism to an entertainment world to completely escape from a scenario, physical scenario, and forget about it for even five minutes in a virtual reality. Well, you might, they might feel safe. They might just feel safe. And I think a lot of people today, because of the news, what the world is going through right now, especially the big ones like climate change and so on, I think there's a lot of people are in a state of fight or flight. And it takes a lot of energy to fight, especially if you don't have connectivity, you don't have money, you don't have whatever it is that it takes. It's easy to, to run away. But what's interesting about the metaverse is you're not running away because you're joining something that's far more expansive. You know, from uh, I'm talking about the brain. I'm talking about using the, the fo- all those synapses to develop uh, really a, a powerful, expansive imagery that has to have some kind of reality to it. It's just, it's, is reality in your mind anyway? I mean, it's a, it's a super interesting territory. Yeah, completely, completely. I mean, we know that from some of the research in, into science and neurology, the nerve system, right, and the emotional system of the human body, which is incredibly complex, but it's very hard or very easy to manipulate, right? There is proven science now that when, when a human experience natural and a natural environment it gives you a beneficial result because it, it creates those sorts of um, chemical reactions which are closer uh, to what a workout can give you like serotonin dop- dopamine and so on and so forth but what if this real-time open words can give this accessible right uh, chemical beneficial almost medical reactions to everyone Without traveling. It comes back, though, to the fact that, you know, astronauts need to have resistance training in space, otherwise their muscles atrophy. So this whole idea, coming back to the idea of tactility, what is tactility? I mean, you can't fully escape the world because you'll just disappear. (laughs) So I think there is a need for a physical engagement, just on a physiological level, and who's developing that? And I think that that's where real world, real time, it starts to converge in a, in a very interesting space between those two worlds, the, the metaphysical and the physical. Yeah, we, we read a lot uh, Joe Dispenza. I don't know if, Mariana, you ever heard of him, but um, he works with resonance theories and the power of the mind over the body is mind over matter. And there's a very interesting study, for example, where... They have proven, especially with uh, patients, that they need recovery, which is like still recovery for long periods of time. So they're confined to a bed, either in a hospital or at home, with, with no to, uh, little to no movement, basically. And they, they researched the fact that if the mind, for example, thinks about a workout and, and performs the workout in the mind, right? So, so you're confined to a bed and you can't... Every, so often you think like you're performing ab or core exercises. They have shown results of the core getting fitter over time, just with the thought. It's really, really interesting. Well, Joe Dispenza's story is fascinating because he had a, a, a cycling accident and he was thrown into the air. He landed on the base of his spine and he crushed, uh, I don't know, six or 
or more vertebrae at the base of his spine and they said he'd never walk again and they all everybody suggested putting a, a, a titanium rod down his spine and he just laid there for eight weeks focusing his mind on that problem on the base of his spine and he stood up and walked out of the hospital and it's a known fact so call that a miracle or not but that's this idea of mind over matter there are some individuals that are very good in focus attention attention focus or whatever and 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 putting themselves into the right environment right and some others that they need some extra help so that's why you go to a particular gym or you go to a particular room or you go to a particular workspace right but and this is where i go back to you mariana real time open words can really facilitate all of these flows. I, I saw recently that you're sort of entering into the space, right? You're considering uh, mindfulness in relation to um, the metaverse. Can you can you open up a little bit on that? Yeah, uh, I was actually going to talk about it now that we were talking about exactly this topic. Um, in, in reality, uh, VR therapy, it's what people are using these days, um, has a very big impact on well-being. Uh, if we start from the core principle that your brain believes in what your eyes see, uh, and and that triggers a chemical response to it, and it could be a positive chemical response or a negative one, um, this can start entering fields of science and uh, of cognitive health, which is what I'm extremely interested in. Uh, I'm from a family of psychiatrists and psychologists, so. I learned a lot of his, uh, psychiatrists and psychologists' background since I was little, and, and then I decided to be an architect to run away from all of that talk. Um, but it's interesting to understand how human um, memories and, and special visual memories uh, impact your personality and your sense of well-being. And then I started researching into this topic some time ago, probably last year. And there is actually... Um, institutions and institutions of technology that is full on this industry of well-being, of triggering chemical responses for well-being and for therapy. And I started obviously bringing this to the studio and now I have a research studio that is uh, composed by 30 architects and eight teams and each team is picking up on uh, different, just the sense of well-being and all of these apps that we have and they are they, they became very popular during COVID for well-being and for meditation, that will inevitably reach a peak in a 3D scenario, right? Um, so this is my current most interesting topic on, on multiverse and on open world, is to trigger chemical responses through the immersive scenarios. I think your shift now to where you're at, which is moving away from, you know, the physical environment to now this level of research, I think it's incredible. I mean, it's something that we talk about all the time. We talk about beyond situations. How do we leapfrog? And also this, this chemical biofeedback, wellness, psychotherapy, the whole, the whole inclusion of that. I mean, that's, that's much more sophisticated, may I say, than a Fitbit or something that just tells you your pulse. It's not enough because of the holistic integration of how we exist. I mean, I listened to a podcast by Lee Cronin the other day, and, uh, who was interviewed by Lex Friedman. And he was, he was saying how incredible the human brain is. I mean, they all do. It's power, right? It's incredibly powerful. And, and in, 
it, it brings me to a question where um, and an observation. I mean, it seems clear that through real time worlds and uh, the, the technology evolution within the field, we as humans and as architects, in in whichever form you want to look at it, we're we're gonna have influencing power over perceptions and experiences and right if you use it the right way which is the medical way or the fitness way or the psychological way it can have incredibly beneficial effects it can also be used on the other side right um, and therefore it comes with a huge amounts of responsibility now Mariana you are working daily on the field do you feel like regulators and governments are ready for this uh, I always say that these scenarios, they are only dangerous if the people building them are either ignorant or choose to ignore. And what would lead them to ignore is pure profit. I have the same positive uh, and faith uh, as Ross has on the industry that we are all aiming at the positive outcome that benefits everyone. What the pattern has been in the, in the industries, we still value quantity of the quality for profit. I mean, I'm talking not just about, uh, not so uh, only about the profit, but the, the whole societal kind of responsibility. Like, for example, I don't know if you know, but years ago, there was something called Second yes, Life. Yes, I know. And it was like, um, yeah, remember? And I I studied a little bit over um, in my school years because we did a project around the whole um psychology effect of, of something like second life and the fact that people were spending time on mm -hmm. second life and it was an unregulated parallel world right it was very rudimentary but you could say it was the very early embryonic state of a real-time multiverse and there was one particular case where um, one participant with a female avatar uh, claimed that she was raped in second life now that is yeah. a, like such a controversial topic like first of all you have the physical barrier second you have the psychological barrier and 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 and, and whatever comes after that right but obviously when you build a, such a highly realistic highly uh, manipulated perceptive experience which it mimics almost to every degree a real life you're going to have more of that happening yeah. right it comes exactly to the same same topic it's about profit wouldn't you profit if you have the freedom for that um wouldn't you profit if you have freedom for violence if you allow the freedom of um violent free speech or um it it goes around exactly the same problems that we have on web 2 now on on 2d platforms on twitter or not so much on instagram but on tiktok so where does the freedom stop and where does the profit come and usually full freedom gives you full profit. Uh, regulating does cut profit. That's the problem. So you are the, of, of the philosophy or the vision that the metaverse and real-time worlds should be universally regulated somehow to have good societal principles as much as the real world. I'm, I'm going to be very honest. I'm, I'm, I'm a very pro-discipline uh, regulation and i'm sorry for that but i do not believe in a society that does not have both it does not mean that we are going to an extreme discipline i think a fair amount of discipline benefits everyone in, in smaller scales and in especially in very big scales and i i'm also 
pretty convinced that the lack of rules and regulations that we have in digital scenarios, which I still don't understand why we don't have rules, uh, common rules in in different platforms in digital scenarios. I still don't know why we don't have common rules on different platforms and digital scenarios. You are not allowed to bully in schools. Why are you allowed to bully in digital schools? And that comes not because you are an amazing the CEO who allows free speech. It comes with profit because you do know that there is profit coming with that. There's profit coming in controversy. There's profit coming with stating that you are absolutely a free platform. And this is my personal conviction. I hope that we fix this when we build real-time open worlds. I really hope because also coming from a female perspective, I really don't want another scenario where we are open to absolute free violence. Really not open to that. I have no patience for that anymore. That's done. We do need to start regulating. If we are creating new worlds, let's create new new worlds with the lessons that we have from physical salons. Please, I think mm. that's that's the bare minimum. Well, what's the, what's the point of creating a world if it's not better? And the, the thing is that what you're saying, uh, when you were speaking, I'm thinking about the physical realm again. So the, the idea that we're building a metaverse that is based on human sub-experiential relativity. So that idea in itself, meaning if we're trying to create some kind of reality, then what? Ela just said about the rape incident. Then I was thinking, gosh, how the hell, suddenly you've got to deal with law. You have to deal with all of these factors which uh, exist in the real world. <laughs> but now they have, to re- they have to exist in this new world. And, you know, humans are terrible because they exploit, they bend the rules, they cheat, they manipulate. I mean, we know that. It's also interesting to analyze that usually, because it goes back to profit and what Mariana just said, but it, by the way, Mariana, um, chapeau to everything you said, because <laughs> I'm a woman as well, and I totally uh, agree on everything you said. But it's usually the top 1%, which is the greedy, driven by profitability, right? If you go down to the, the ones that are the victims are the bottom 99%, and they're the ones that get either victimized by the violence or act as the violent ones. But... If you take them on an independent level, and this is something that uh, came up also recently in another conversation we had, normal people usually have a fairness of values that they commonly share, right? Everybody wants safety for their family. Everyone wants to feel safe and be safe. They all want to feel participant within the society. They want to feel useful and looked after. Exactly. So the basics are usually shared by the 99%, right? And it's only this instability and tension created by inequality of profit that uh, drives them to either become violent or whatever the circumstances of their background is. Um, but the interesting part of Web3 is that there, or majority of Web3 um, platforms and institutions is that they're DAO, right? Decentralized. And maybe this, this decentralized uh, ecosystem that allows the participants to be part of also the, the, the infrastructure or the ruling aspect, maybe that's what works better. And it's something that maybe is a lesson we can learn to bring back to the physical world as well. Yeah, absolutely. Also, um, I know that we also want to create a platform where you can bend rules, right? That's fun. Um, bending rules is fun and, and that's the part of entertainment and 
I also want to create a world where that happens. Um, it's just in which way are you bending rules? Are you are you bending to create something new, or are you bending to destroy something? And that's probably the biggest shift in our mentality: is how do we bend rules and how do we create entertainment or an offer entertainment that is going for creative and creating situations and environments and expanding our creation and our creativity instead of destroying them, ours or others, and usually it goes destroying others. How does bending the rules look like when it's about creativity? Well, Mariana, thanks you, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been absolutely enlightening and uh, very thought-provoking as well. Um, we certainly learned that the metaverse is more than just a new tech gimmick. It's, a, it's an entire cultural shift and it's a frontier that is going to keep challenging us in the way we rethink and think design and architecture. As we continue to explore these digital realms, we must stay grounded, I think, in, in values and principles, as we uh, just very recently talked, um, that make sure the design is meaningful and technology become meaningful. Thank you for our listeners to um, joining us on this journey through the complexities of the metaverse. Thank you, Mariana. Thank you, Red. Thanks, Ross. Thanks, Hila. Thanks for the, this invitation. Thank you for joining us on this episode of For Love and Design. We hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. If you want to keep exploring the world of design, innovation, art and creativity, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes too. And don't forget to follow us on social media to stay up to date with our latest news and announcements. Until next time. <laughs>